This is Crime Connections, and we're your hosts. I'm Jackie. And I'm Leah. This month, we will be shedding light on a deeply troubling and urgent issue, the alarming rates of Indigenous women who have gone missing or been tragically murdered. Our focus will be on four heart-wrenching cases that highlight the failures of law enforcement in providing the necessary protection and justice for these women. By bringing attention to these stories, we aim to raise awareness and inspire meaningful action towards addressing this critical issue. To begin, I think it is important to understand a few things. One, what is an Indian reservation? It is a specific piece of land that belongs to a Native American tribe and is controlled by their government. This government has some independence, but it still has to follow federal laws made by the U.S. Congress and overseen by the Bureau of Indian Affairs. The reservation is separate from the state government of wherever it is located. Furthermore, a federal Indian reservation is an area of land reserved for tribe or tribes under treaty or other agreement with the United States, executive order or federal statute, or administrative action as permanent tribal homelands and where the federal government holds title to the land and trust on behalf of the tribe. I know that's a lot of information, but pretty much saying the Indian reservations are reserved for tribes that are recognized by the United States is pretty much what it's saying. There is approximately 56.2 million acres that are held in trust by the United States for various Indian tribes and individuals. There are approximately 326 Indian land areas in the U.S. administered as federal Indian reservations. The largest is the 16 million acre Navajo Nation Reservation located in Arizona, New Mexico, and Utah. The smallest is the 1.32 acre parcel in California where... The Pitt River Tribes Cemetery is located. Many of the smaller reservations are less than a thousand acres. So are they basically just spread across like all of the U.S.? Mostly on the West Coast. Okay. Um, and like that area-ish. The Midwest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Some reservations are the remnants of tribes' original land base. Others were created by federal government for the resettling of Indian people forcibly relocated from their homelands. Not every federally recognized tribe has a reservation. Federally Indian reservations are generally exempt from state jurisdiction, including taxation, except when Congress specifically authorizes such jurisdiction. Okay. So let's not forget that this land was stolen from them and that they were herded into these reservations Mm -hmm. or killed. Yeah. It pretty much was, you sign this treaty or you will die. Yeah, they weren't given a choice. No. And obviously they wanted to save their people and Mm -hmm. as many people as they possibly could. So they did what they could. All of the attractions, activities, and lodging listing on NativeAmerican.travel, I think that's a website, are open to the public. Other tribes prefer not to have tourists or require that visitors register at the tribal office. Even though non-natives are allowed to use public roads and highways that run through the reservations, The land use itself is set aside only for natives. Indian reservation land is not public land, so you cannot just go on there and do Mm -hmm. whatever you please. You have to have permission most of the time to even enter it, other than the highways. Are most reservations, I guess, I don't want to say gated communities, but are they gated off or protected? Yeah, so from what I read, they were, it's kind of like they have, kind of like the 
a border, like on a yeah. from country to country, and then you have to go through the like the front entrance, the front entrance, yeah, and you have oh. to be vetted and things like that, and you have to have a reason and permission from someone inside the reservation mm-hmm. of why you're going in it, which is fair. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that's good uh, and necessary because you know the people. Who knows what they would do? You know, I mean, yeah. I could totally see people just going and doing whatever they wanted. Well, because I'm sure there's still some people that have, in my opinion, like backwards views on mm-hmm. whether or not they should even be allowed to have their own mm-hmm. land. So, yeah. So then the U.S. law allows the federal government to pave highways through the Indian reservations, which are why there are highways that are going through it. Non-natives are thereby granted the right to the use of those roads. Otherwise, non-natives have no other privileges on the native land again just specifying you like i said you cannot just go on there and do whatever you want you have to have permission to even enter into the reservation Mm -hmm. other than when you are literally driving through it it is a little frustrating though that the united states it's like they give them this land but then they say well hang on you can have this land but then we still get to have the final say on whether or not we can put things through your land Mm -hmm. that will benefit us exactly because if that were my yeah, land, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't want a road and right through it. Go yeah. through it. And I would say what would make sense is if there was a toll. Yeah. To go on that road, and then that money to give would back go, to the reservation. Yes. I think that would be something mm-hmm. that you know would kind of be a compromise. Yes. Yeah. Ish. Um, but I don't know if that's a thing, or I'm, I. I would assume no. I would assume not. Yeah. But who knows? So then, of course, we did some research on indigenous women in general. And according to research, indigenous women are murdered 10 times higher than all other ethnicities, which is a lot. Mm-hmm. Or murder is the third leading cause of death for indigenous women, according to the Centers for Disease Control, which includes cancer, mm-hmm. you know, natural causes, things like that. More than four out of five indigenous women have experienced violence, which is about 84.3%, which, again, is a, a lot. Yeah. If you take out 100%, that's... 84%, that's a freaking huge number. That's more than three-fourths. Mm-hmm. So then more than half the indigenous women experience sexual violence, which is about 56.1%. More than half indigenous women have been physically abused by their intimate partners, which is about 55.5%. Less than half of indigenous women have been stalked in their lifetime. My God. At about 48.8%. And these are just the ones... That's horrible. Well, that have been reported. reported. Yeah. Exactly. You can't even imagine the amount, I'm sure, that are unreported, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Indigenous women are two times more likely to be raped than the American white woman. The murder rate of indigenous women is three times higher than an American white woman, which is so sad. Because it is. that's high. To feel in danger just because of your ethnicity mm-hmm. and I mean kind of the color of your skin and how you look it's just still very backwards in this country even well, after all this time and unfortunately with this situation of the reservations I think mm-hmm. it's the push and pull of law enforcement mm-hmm. they typically unless they invite law enforcement onto their land they deal with anything that happens on the land yeah so if someone is murdered, they deal with that. If someone, you know, things like yeah. that, you know, crime is But dealt if these within. women go missing or are murdered and they're not on the reservation, then it's handled by local law enforcement. Yes. And I guarantee I they don't do as much. There is a lot of, from what I've read mm-hmm. in multiple cases, there's a lot of the, it's really sticky because yeah. they 
as in law enforcement, are kind of like, well, it's up to them. You know, they kind of yeah. like put it back on the people on the reservation. And then it kind of goes push and pull sort of thing. So it's kind of like, well, he said, she said type of thing. That's just so unfortunate. And then a lot of th- times it just doesn't Nothing get. comes from it. Yeah, resolved. And then they also have the issue of, well, I, I reported her or him missing. And then law enforcement doesn't take it seriously mm-hmm. because they have the presumption of, people going up into the mountains and living off the land or you know things like that so they don't even take it seriously for months and then six months later they're like oh okay no that person is missing they should have been home by now that's just so so you have that too which is very unfortunate um okay so looking into these cases you come across a lot it's Mm -hmm. it's very overwhelming to even decide who to shed light on because they all deserve light to be shed on their case because unfortunately it they're not getting it Mm-mm. um well, i mean you don't hear much about it at all i mean i for one i've i've never heard of a case even in the public news mm-hmm. i've only heard of a lot of these cases by doing this research yeah and i think it possibly gets more light where they're from probably which i would assume but here mm-hmm. where we live in ohio i never hear of it no and it should be a nationwide issue yeah you know so just know that our hearts are heavy with knowing mm-hmm. there are so many and obviously we are only two people and there are i would say a lot of podcasts though i found mm-hmm. that are ran by indigenous women who bring light to tons of cases that is their full-time gig they only talk about that so i highly recommend going and subscribing and listening to these to bring some light Mm -hmm. and attention to their podcast i highly recommend we will link their podcast actually because i think it's definitely worth going and checking out i listened to a few of their episodes so on august 30th 1987 daisy may heath slash Tallman embarked on a fishing trip a town over from where she was staying in Tobinish, Washington. Unfortunately, after that day, she was never heard or seen alive again. Two months later, Daisy's family reported her missing on October 29, 1987, at the age of 29. According to her family, Daisy would sometimes drop off the grid for a couple of days or a week at a time, leading them to delay reporting her missing for two months. She was resourceful and physically strong and was capable of surviving on her own in the mountains for weeks at a time by hunting, gathering food, and fishing for food. Her sister report was reported saying multiple times on how, because being on the reservation, you are homeschooled type of thing. Like, yeah. not everyone has a school to go to. Mm-hmm. So she was kind of homeschooled, and she and her aunt, mm-hmm. I believe it was her aunt, or a family member, would go off, and they would... Like live off the land yeah, for and learn from the weeks land. and sometimes and one time it was a month long and then they mm-hmm. came home so they did not suspect anything wrong mm-hmm. because she's done it multiple times it was very regular for her yeah so this again is why they it took them so long to report her missing daisy was a 29 year old indigenous woman unfortunately there is no information available regarding to the attire daisy was wearing when she was last seen at the time of her disappearance, she stood between 5'3 and 5'4 and weighed approximately 140 to 185, which is quite a big difference. It is. But maybe they, you know, women lie about their weight a lot, so maybe mm-hmm. they just had no idea. 
She had long, straight black hair that extended down the middle of her back, brown eyes, and a scar on her left arm and shoulder, which was a result from her being struck by a vehicle as a child. Hmm. Like, literally ran over. And That's so sad. I read the story, and it was because, you know when a school bus picks you up and drops you off? People didn't Someone, stop. Yes. That's... And it was an older person, and they kept going. They oh didn't stop. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. It was really... That's well, thank terrible. Well, she survived survived that yeah literally so at the time of her disappearance she was in the process of legally changing her last name from tallman which was her mother's married name to heath which is her father's surname Mm -hmm. as such many reports refer to her as daisy heath so you will see both if you look anything up about her of daisy tallman and daisy heath so i don't think she legally yet changed her name but she was in the process of trying to Daisy May Tallman was born on January 10th, 1958 to Eldred Heath and Nancy Whitefoot, members of the Confederated Tribes and Bands of Yakima Nation. She was the youngest of six sisters. She was raised by her maternal grandparents, Elias and Lily Whitefoot, and extended family on a ranch in Medicine Valley near the foothills of the Cascades. Patsy and Marie, the eldest siblings, helped raise the younger children, and their grandparents were able to provide a stable and nurturing home where they learned about the indigenous way of life. This included learning how to make traditional crafts. According to those who knew Daisy, she was a spunky and fearless girl who was a bit on the quiet side. She loved her family and the traditional way of life and was always willing to offer a helping hand. While in school, she played softball and basketball, both of which she excelled at. In 1986, at the age of 28, Daisy gave birth to her daughter, whom she named after her deceased sister, Sherry. She was excited to become a mother, but was devastated after her baby died of sudden infant death syndrome. These feelings were only made worse by the death of her grandmother that same year. That's so hard. Yeah, unfortunately, she has like a still, or not a stillbirth, but she has a full child. Yeah, she she had the child, and then, well, it's it's sudden infant death. There's no explanation Mm -hmm. for it. That's really sad. And then not only does she go through that, then her one caregiver Mm -hmm. who. Basically, like her mother, mother who raised her. As well, yeah. Which is so sad. I'm sure she was going through a lot of depression and Mm -hmm. a lot of feelings. So, at the time of her disappearance, the 29-year-old was living with her sisters, Patsy and Beverly, and regularly traveled between White Swan and Warm Springs Reservation in Oregon. This, where they're all talking about, just so everyone knows, this is a huge reservation that Mm -hmm. spans, like, huge. All of these are, I'm assuming, little towns in Mm -hmm. the reservation, because when I Googled it, first of all, it doesn't pull you to the reservation, it pulls you, like, random places. But it looks like they're, you know, within a few hours of each other. Okay. In the reservation. So nothing too crazy far away. Yeah. So after her disappearance, Daisy's keys, backpack, and a turquoise ring were found in Soda Springs, which is a remote area of the Yakima Reservation north of White Swan. This, like I said, is about an hour drive from where she was supposedly going on her fishing trip. It's closed to non-tribal residents unless they have permission and it is regularly monitored her loved ones don't think she'd have willingly left those belongings mm-hmm. behind as she always had her backpack with her and one of your keys 
Like, I where mean, are you going to go without right. those? And her ring was really special to her. Her sister was in an interview said that she had given it to her and it was very sentimental and yeah, she always had it on. So she doesn't see why she would have left any of that. Right. So according to Daisy's family, there was little to no response from law enforcement when she was reported missing. So law, when you say law enforcement, do you mean the Indian actual reservation or actual? Okay. Actual. So outside of the reservation Correct. law enforcement. Okay. Which, like I said, that is the confusing part because yeah. typically, unless they are invited in by their law enforcement, mm-hmm. our law enforcement cannot just willy-nilly go in there and, go in there and do help. things. Right. So with no leads or suspects, the case went cold. There was absolutely nothing. And really, there was no investigating either because Mm -hmm. their hands were tied the reservation from what i could tell wasn't really looking into it Mm -hmm. it just was kind of pushed under the rug and not really looked into unfortunately so then she was legally declared dead on october 30th of 1997 which is about 10 years later which is typical you can't declare anyone dead without a body until 10 years yes and her sisters went through the process of doing that because they just wanted closure yeah but then they still didn't feel closure because there's a lot of traditions when it comes mm-hmm. to burying someone in the reservation and having their actual body is very important mm-hmm. and because her body has not been found or then no one knows where it is it kind of gave them some closure but not fully yeah so then in november 2008 skeletal remains belonging to an unknown female were found west of white swan the yakima nation tribal police and the county coroner's office investigated the case and worked to pursue all leads available traditional forensic dna testing was attempted but the skeletal remains were not productive in yielding a usable dna profile without a dna profile and with all the leads exhausted the case eventually went cold to who the skeletal remains were so they just found skeletal remains but they have no idea correct who it is so they're speculating that it is daisy daisy but unfortunately they can't prove it um, because the, the body was found. And at the time of this uh, discovery, there was another person that had gone missing. Oh. Like with, a, with a kind of same time frame. Mm-hmm. So they couldn't tell whose body it was. If right. it was this person or this person, you know. With it being so long, the skeletal remains were not in good condition. Yeah. And they just really couldn't figure out who it was. So while law enforcement was initially awaiting mitochondrial DNA test results, an FBI laboratory later determined that there was insufficient evidence to conclude the remains belonged to Daisy. Hmm. So then they kind of said, no, it's not her, but we'll still look into it sort of thing. Right. In 2022, the coroner's office teamed up to leveraged advanced DNA testing to identify the unknown woman remains. Skeletal remains were sent so that the scientists were able to produce a usable DNA to extract from the skeletal remains. The lab then used forensic-grade genome sequencing to develop a comprehensive DNA profile. Through an investigation by the coroner's office, a familial reference DNA sample was provided and used familial testing to confirm the suspected relationship between the reference sample and the DNA profile of the unknown woman. The coroner's office then confirmed that the unknown woman was, in fact, Daisy Tallman, also known as Daisy Heat. Wow, that's so, I'm sure, a relief for the family, Mm -hmm. especially, like you said, because of the traditions they have Mm -hmm. when it comes to burials and 
the ceremonies they perform, but also just like gut wrenching. Oh yeah, because I feel like you always hope you always have that hope. Yeah, like maybe they're like maybe they've just alive. been out there all this yes. time and they're gonna come back. Mm-hmm. But then, obviously, that's a lot of years that she's yeah. gone. Yeah. So Daisy's cause of death and manner of death will remain undetermined until further information may be provided by tips. Because unfortunately, okay. the like I said, the state of the remains, remains mm-hmm. were it was in such bad yeah. How can condition you really tell because of the environment, the animals, mm-hmm. you know, things like that. They just couldn't tell, and they also couldn't tell if she was sexually assaulted or anything like that. Right. Due to how long it had there been. was a struggle. Yeah. All of that. Yeah. Unfortunately, in the 1980s and the 1990s, at least 14 Native women were murdered in cases that remain unsolved or died under mysterious circumstances on the 1.3 million acre reservation spanning Yakima and and Klickitat counties. If I said that wrong, I'm sorry. Daisy's sister was stated saying, leading up to my sister going missing, there was all this community conversation going on about what happened to the other women. Other women were found in the closed area of the reservation, Patsy had said. Vast areas of the Yakima reservation are closed to non-tribal citizens unless special permission is granted. That is allowed for some hunting, for example. After Daisy disappeared, her backpack keys and turquoise ring Patsy had gave her were found in a closed area outside the White Swan area. Someone would have to go by the guarded house and a gate to take the road where Daisy's items were found. Guard houses and gates can be found at other access points between open and closed land. At the end of the summer, going into the fall, there likely would have been a person at the guardhouse, but it is kind of iffy. And then it would probably have been at night or the middle of the night, Patsy had said, which is kind of, she's indicating they're not guarded 24-7. Yeah. There are so probably... So someone could have... People come in and out, I'm sure. Yes. And so it's knowledge. probably like a Monday through Friday, mm-hmm. 8 to t- 5 type of thing. Yeah. So whether the gate guard would be awake at the time or if they just left the gate open, it's hard to say, she added. But it is a big question of what... Who was going through the gate? Yeah. Well, and especially was you said, it a native? Yeah, and you said for hunting, I'm sure that there are a lot of people that want to hunt on the reservation, mm-hmm. and if they don't get permission, what's going to really stop them from sneaking in? And, yeah, and, and doing going so. Out there, right. Especially if there's animals that are illegal on yeah our thing, mm-hmm. and then not illegal in in the reservation. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know how that works. I don't hunt, but. Patsy also said if they were located in the closed area of the reservation, so then you have to ask yourself, any logical person would do this. If it's in the closed area, does that mean a native person was involved in this crime? That's true. Which is a very good question, especially because I don't know. I mean, I, I obviously people break the law every single day, so there's a likely chance that people are in and out of there without permission mm-hmm. but at the same time knowing that they my logic is knowing that they deal with breaking the law period mm-hmm. if i as a white american go into there mm-hmm. and they want to kill me because i'm trespassing mm-hmm. they have the right to do so right That's- so i would be more afraid of that than even you know, I, I mean, Cause that's more. Like, I don't want to say causing mischief to kind of like downplay what happened, but more than like going there, going hunting, finding an indigenous woman by a creek or up like in the mountains, and then committing murder. 
So I see where it kind of does beg the question, was it another Native mm-hmm. American that committed the crime? Exactly. And it just, I don't know. It's like, is is the reward worth the risk of going in there and being killed yourself? I don't think so. That's I, the thing. We don't. I don't have that mindset, right. but I don't know. Maybe I guess people do. I'd say that's the thing. I don't hunt either. I do have family members that hunt. I don't see them going, being that desperate to mm-hmm. be like, oh, this land isn't allowed for us, but we're going to go in there anyways. I don't see yeah. it. Now, I do know that there is a thing very much so of men going in and mm-hmm. raping and killing the women. And yeah. then because they are a non-native, that they kind of get away with it because our government, our law enforcement is kind of not allowed on there. Yeah. And then it gets just, it's that well, sticky situation of yeah. the in-between. And that's where it's it's very heartbreaking for all these women because it could be a native that walks among them every day. Mm-hmm. And it could be, like you said, non-natives coming in. But how, how will you ever really know? Yeah. Especially when the body wasn't found for years, Mm -hmm. unfortunately. So, you know, the family has a lot of questions. They have a lot of things that they are afraid of. They're, you know, his, her sister Patsy is constantly saying, we want a better environment for our children, for our future. We want to do better for them. Mm -hmm. And that's why she's constantly in the news in articles talking about her sister's case Mm -hmm. because she's like not only do i want to find out who killed her but Mm -hmm. also i want a better future for the children who are being born and are living right now on the reservation well i'm sure it's heartbreaking because like when we raise children we teach them you know stranger danger and we teach them to be mindful of certain things but we don't have to teach them to be worried about the color of their skin Mm -hmm. we don't have to teach them things that a lot of people have to teach their children Mm -hmm. and it's heartbreaking that they have to when you're raising these children not just for indigenous women but for any woman of color you have to teach a whole nother topic to your kids Uh yeah like well because of your skin color you're susceptible to being assaulted Mm -hmm. and being harmed just because of the color of your skin and that's so hard i couldn't i could never imagine and i know I understand where Patsy's coming from, how you want to have your world. You want to leave it a better place for the next generation, mm-hmm. but it can't just be them trying. It has to be everybody. Exactly. And that's where it gets really. Well, and I even was, so I used to watch Grey's Anatomy and I know people love or hate it. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, I, did you ever watch it? I watched it up until I think Derek Shepard, McDreamy. Oh, once he died, then it, it was it, it was hard it went, to it keep going. Yeah, after McDreamy died. After McDreamy left, it was kind of. I mean, even after when George left, I was like, oh my god. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so anyways, I kind of watched it here and there mm-hmm. as as it went on, and there was an episode where this was around when George Floyd happened. Yes. Okay. Okay. And they were very, which I applaud them because I think it was a good movement. Uh, they were very like tasteful. Yeah, they, they kind of, like, brought it in. They mm-hmm. didn't bring, like, specifically George Floyd, mm-hmm. but they also... But they brought in cases similar to it. The whole, like, police and protesting situation was terrible and mm-hmm. was super... Just not a good situation. So they brought Bailey and her son... You, know, you remember Dr. Bailey? I remember. The, yeah, yeah, I think okay. I remember this episode. And she brought her son in and was like... 
explaining on what it meant to be a person of color and when it comes to police officers. Yeah. And I literally bawled my eyes out because one, I'd never thought of that conversation until I saw that episode. Yeah. And I think that episode should, at least that position, that part of the episode should Mm -hmm. be played in schools because people that are white don't have to think about that. No. They don't have to tell their sons when you get pulled over, you put your hands up, you act polite you act this way because if not there's a a good chance you will get hurt and it's so unfortunate because there are there are so many police officers that look at any person with any color skin as not only say a bad person but they treat them all the same but there are a lot of officers that they don't if Mm -hmm. they see we'll just say a black person looking in the windows of a house it could be they're home and yep. they don't know, but they're immediately like, oh, that person looks like they're up to no good. I mean, we've seen it mm-hmm. in play out in the media. Yeah, because there was a kid a few years ago killed and he was trying to get into his house because he forgot his key yeah. and they killed him on yeah. his front porch Yeah, because so, they thought he was an intruder. But that's not a conversation I have to have with my children. They no. don't have to worry about that. And that's yeah. what's very sad about and very backwards still. Mm-hmm. It always seems like you see the call for change and the call for movement but then you don't really see much being done about it and that's mm-hmm. where I blame like our government. Yeah. Because there's so much more that they could be doing not just for, I mean for all people of color and especially indigenous women because they seem to be so forgotten and yes. pushed aside. Yes. It's, it's honestly a, a tragic seeing it. And reading it and mm-hmm. seeing their families and all of that. And so back to the gates situation. I'm mm-hmm. curious on how strict they are. Yeah. I mean, clearly they're not as strict as you would assume. Like, do they have a login? That's what I was wondering. Do they have do cameras? They have, do they have a login? Because I'm assuming with hunting, like, if you had the permission to go hunting, wouldn't you have to, like, sign in? You I know. would assume so. Wouldn't you have to show? Usually you have to have like a specific license for hunting. You have yeah. to renew your hunting license. Yeah. So I don't know how it works with Me, yeah. being on the reservation mm-hmm. because they kind of make up their own laws. Like I know hunting is not a federal law. It's a state law. Yes. So they don't have to abide by state laws. Mm-hmm. So they kind of make up their own rules in regards to those types of laws. So it makes it just makes me question. So, I mean, it would be smart to have a login. You would think they would have mm-hmm. a login. But well, I don't I'm know. sure they have something in place, but it kind of seems to me that the reservation's hiding a little bit. They're being a little bit secretive as well mm-hmm. when it comes to this. Because if if they're not being so gung-ho about figuring out what happened to Daisy, then, of course, local law enforcement isn't either. So yeah. it does beg the question, do they know a little bit more than what they're letting on? Exactly. And you hate to say that because at the end of the day, they are the victims because of everything that's happened to them Mm -hmm. over the course of our history in this country but it also doesn't excuse though someone being murdered and not having any answers as to what could have happened exactly that's really all it comes down to on daisy's case um i think it's really good that she ended up being found Mm -hmm. obviously i am happy for her family for that it's a small 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 justice not even justice but it's like when I guess yeah, you could say. it's like the worst type of victory that you can have is yeah. having your loved one be found. It's not in the circumstance that you want, but at least they could lay her to rest. Exactly. And they have the answer of where her body was, because yes. I'm sure not knowing mm-hmm. where her body, her physical body is. I'm sure that's something you never want to go through, you mm-hmm. know, and 
to have to at least have that closure at least you have her body Mm -hmm. is good but unfortunately i feel like her case will never be probably solved Mm -mm, because probably not you have to have someone to come forward they Mm -hmm. literally state there are there is nothing else we can do we have her body but there's no answers to what happened to her and unless someone comes forward and tells us like this person killed her or this i killed her or you know whatever the case may be it's just gonna stay where it is well it's great that her sisters are still advocating Mm -hmm. so strongly for her otherwise you probably wouldn't hear anything about it anymore. Exactly. And not only are they advocating for her, but they're advocating for all the other victims. Mm-hmm. As always, anyone with any information related to this investigation is asked to contact the Yakima National Tribal Police at 509-865-2933. As always, we thank you for listening to Crime Connections. If you would so kindly, please follow and share and go like us on Facebook at Crime Connections or follow us on Instagram at Crime Connections Pod. If you have any news, tips, or cases you want us to look into, please feel free to email us or DM us on either of those. Um, We check them pretty much daily, Mm -hmm. so please go message us. (laughs) (laughs) We love hearing from you guys. We appreciate you. Thank you. Bye.